that wasn't a part of the video. But then you saw those scenes of uh, people just in despair. And we can all be in times where we feel we are between a rock and a hard place. And how we respond, how we react, what we do, those gazelles were just a stumble away from being those hyenas lunch. And those people that we saw were just, just heartbroken. They're alone. They're between that rock and a hard place, and it can be lots of different things that find us in that place. Sometimes we feel trapped. Sometimes we feel stuck. Sometimes it's our job, a dead-end job, and we just feel we're between a rock and a hard place. We don't like our job. Uh, it's, just, it's just hard, and we feel stuck. We need the income, but we're stuck. Sometimes it's uh, a relationship. And we're in this relationship, and it just doesn't seem to move forward. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just hard. It feels toxic, uh, and it's just, it's just difficult. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent or child, and we feel obligated to care, but the desire to care just isn't there. We're just in a, in a hard space, in a hard place. Maybe it was a bad business deal, and uh, the business is no longer existing, but you're still paying for that business deal that just didn't go well. Maybe it's investment. Maybe it's college debt, and you're just, wow, when I was in college, I just didn't realize the value of you know, going in debt ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year, and now I'm stuck. You just don't pay that off easily. Whatever it is, maybe it's being in middle school and you can't stand middle school, and you cannot wait to get out of middle school. Maybe it's high school and you can't wait to get out of high school. Whatever it may be, we get in these places where we feel trapped. And uh, sometimes we even feel trapped by God because many of us believe that God has sovereignty and is in control of everything, oversees everything. Yet if he oversees everything, why does he let what happens go on in the world and in my own life? And I'm just kind of trapped. Again, it could be a marriage. It could be a toxic emotional workplace, whatever it may be. We can feel just like those gazelles with the hyenas just nipping at us, just a, just a bite away. And if we slip and we make a mistake, we're, we're gone, we're done. And we find ourselves this morning as we continue on looking at the seeking king, a man after our God's own heart, we find David in a place where he's between a rock and a hard place. And how is he going to respond? How is he going to act? How does he navigate those hard places? I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. He should do it right. And today we're going to see he started off maybe right, but he didn't do it right. And that, as we wrap things up towards the end today, that should make us feel a little hopeful that here's a guy that, at least in chapter 21, doesn't do it right, but later on, he does it right. Later on, he, in a sense, knows how to navigate between a rock and a hard place. And we see that he doesn't lash out. He responds.
And likewise, that's where we should be, is we should be in a posture of responding when we're between a rock and a hard place. Sometimes when we get into these places, uh, some of us have, have released some bad habits over the years. We've walked with God, and they're no longer part of our lives. But all of a sudden, we're between that rock and a hard place, and we feel desperate. And all of a sudden, some of those actions, some of the ways we view things, just start bubbling over. We go, wow, I thought I had dealt with this. But it's back there. I have anger again. I have jealousy again. What, whatever it may be, it just kind of boils up. So learning how to stay under, walk through, uh, navigate a rock and a hard place is just so important for us. And there's some rock and hard places that just never go away. They never go away. And you're going, oh, that's, you mean, sometimes you're, you're wrestling with those for the rest of your life. And so we, there's some hope for us, and we can see this in the life of David. So we're going to be looking at chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, uh, verses 1 through 15. If you want to follow along in a paper Bible, you can uh, use the rack one if you didn't bring one. Also, uh, you can have that rack Bible if you don't have your own personal copy of a paper Bible and you'd like one. Uh, so please feel free to take that. Uh, also, uh, if you uh, have an electronic device, I encourage you to download the Bible app. Uh, because as I say often, then you have your Bible, a Bible with you wherever you go, wherever your phone is, wherever your PDA is or whatever it is, uh, your electronic device, you have a Bible with you. And that, that's awesome. You're waiting to get your tires rotated and there's not so no magazines to look at. Believe it or not, you can pull your phone up and look at a Bible verse. Amazing. So that's a great tool. So First Samuel 21 as we start to unpack what is going on in David's life. So we start off with David went to Noab to Amalekai, the priest. Amalekai trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Amalekai, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand, David says? Give me the five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread, providing the men have kept themselves from women. Idea of being pure. David replied, indeed, the women have been have kept from us and as usual whenever i send out or set out the men bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy how much more so today so the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the lord and replaced by hot bread on that day it was taken away now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. Don't know why he was detained. Some commentaries say he might have been had some kind of uh, skin disease. And if you know uh, Old Testament, Older Testament uh, history and law, if there was something going on physically that could defile other people, you went to the priest and they checked that out and uh, waited to see if it was going to go away or if it was something that could be uh, transmitted to other people. So detained before the Lord, it might have been that or some other reason. He was Doag, I'm going to call him the dog, <laughs> from Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. 
David asked Amalekite, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the alley of Elah is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Interesting. What is going on? We see lots of untruth. Lots of lies. Here's this man after God's own heart, and he's backed into a corner. He's cornered. He's between a rock and a hard place, and he's just saying these things that, that just aren't accurate. They're, they're lies. How can this be? We read on. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. But the, same, but the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Interesting that they think of David being the king of the land or the, who's going to be king or the one really behind Saul's rule because he was such a right-hand man for Saul. Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why did you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you need to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? You go, why didn't uh, the king just kind of take care of the madmen? Uh, the kings and people of those days were very superstitious. And if someone was off like this, they were afraid to mess with him because of that. So they would kind of let them roam along and let them do their thing just because they didn't want to uh, be cursed by this. So David is just transformed. He's one moment celebrated as the daughter's son-in-law, right-hand man of Saul, eats at his table, probably lives in a nice house, all these kinds of things, and now he's stuck in this position. And uh, back in that day, the beard was a symbol of uh, honor. And for him to be drooling on his beard and all that kind of stuff was, uh, was just very uh, uh, undignified. He, he, you wouldn't do this unless you were crazy. And, and David is playing the part of being crazy, just unstable. He's blown a gasket or something, and here he is in Philistine. And what's also amazing is that he goes there with Saul's sword. The people of that town remember when David took out their hero, their, their, their son of the community, and they see that sword. It's distinctive. They recognize it. So this, this he is just very, very, very desperate. No matter who you are, no matter where you are in your place, whether you are a convinced Christ follower, if you're kicking the tires, if you're trying to figure out if 
following Christ, saying yes to him, has any relevance for your life? If you're trying to figure that out or you're convinced, um, all of us have moments, seasons of life where we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And if you're in a place right now where that's not the case for you, the benefit of listening up this morning is that when it happens, because it surely will happen, you have some ideas of how to respond. And again, David is not giving us initially the way to respond. This past week in one of uh, the small groups I'm a part of, the men's group on Friday, we're reading uh, a biography on uh, John Newton, uh, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And uh, the book is called From Disgrace to Amazing Grace. And uh, there was this quote in it. When we think of ourselves in the greatest safety, we are no less exposed to danger than when all seems conspiring to destroy us. The divine providence that is sufficient to deliver us in our utmost extremity is equally necessary in the most peaceful situations. What this is saying is that we're always vulnerable. Even when times are good, just a moment in time can change everything. And some of you are even thinking this. You go in and you uh, have a test, and all of a sudden there's bad news physically. Car accidents. We had a couple in our church family over the last couple weeks, and in a moment's notice, things change. Some of you remember when I fell out of the cherry picker <laughs> and uh, broke my back and got flown up to Rochester in a moment. It was a Wednesday, came home, looking forward to dinner, and all of a sudden, crash, bang, and my life has changed. Fortunately, not changed that much, but changed. You all have all those situations, a call from a family member, whatever it may be, and we can find ourselves in these places so easily. So that's what uh, this quote is from John Newton, and that just is a good little moment to give a little plug for community groups. Uh, what happens in community groups is very important. It's, it's taking things a little farther. It's, it's a discussion. We can't you know, pass a mic around and have discussions with some of these things. I'd love to be able to say, so what was your last time you were up against it? When were you cornered? When did you feel you were in between a rock and a hard place? And you might say, I'm in one right now. And if we're in a community group, we could say, well, let's stop and pray for that right now. How can we help you? That's, again, reasons we have uh, people up at the end of the service to, to pray with you. Don't be bashful about that. So, again, community groups, it's, it's a part of that. That's a good, just a little idea or thought about that. So we see David. This whole thing is transpiring. We looked at last week. We see Jonathan, his best friend. They can't, they, he's got to take off. He's got to run for it. Saul is after him. And so David's first response is a good one. He is running to God. He's going to the sacred place that they meet God. This is where the Ark of the Covenant is and all those kinds of things. Uh, this, this priest is the great, great, great son of Eli. So that's all going on there. So David runs there. Uh, he's met with God before. He's gotten the high priest's blessing before when he's gone out to, uh, going out to battle. So, so here he is. That, that's, a, that's a good thing. Now today we all know that a, a building like this is just a building. But what happens in this building, depending on those who are participating, elevates it 
to a holy place. It's what's going on in our hearts. And what's wonderful about that is wherever we gather as Christ followers, in homes, out to breakfast or lunch or camping or wherever, when we bring that focus in on God, when we try to think about how we're recognizing God, which is what glorify means when we sing glory, glory. It's recognizing God, recognizing God in my life, recognizing God around me, recognizing God in the circumstances around us. Uh, you know, when we go to those places, they, they become holy in a sense um, because of what's happening in our hearts. So any place becomes a church. Any place becomes an assembly. So David running, this is very... Uh, in the mindset of the Israelite, this is where to go, and so that's where he goes. So where's the hiccup? What, what happens? I don't know about you, but I've been in times where I've planned to do the right thing, planned to do the faithful thing, planned to not work something out to my benefit, and I get a little nervous and trust in God, and so I start to pull some strings. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing your part. But each one of us in our hearts know when we're kind of massaging the situation to get our way or when we're letting God have his way in our lives. And it's really messy in a sense. You have to look at each situation individually. And a part of that is your, the tighter your relationship is with God, the closer you are with him, the e easier it is to discern what is going on. Another reason why we're really emphasizing this whole spring into growth, uh, experiencing Lent. And that's because uh, it's an opportunity to, in a sense, uh, uh, you know, elevate your spiritual disciplines. There's ideas in there. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's not a have to thing. Uh, you know, God is so over have to. He freely gives himself. He throws the ball in your court, and you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Doesn't force himself on you in this time. So this idea of running to God and being ready. So to know what you're doing with your strings and all of that kind of thing is easier. There's more clarity if you're spending time with God regularly. And what also amazes me, prove me wrong, what also amazes me is often what I read in the morning, that's my time, speaks to my life that day. It's not coincidence. Anytime you read God's word and it tugs on your heart, you're experiencing God. It's not an accident. It's not a whatever. So whenever you spend time, you're going to find that those words speak to your heart. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. And if you get the same idea from two different places, sit up and pay attention. That's like a double whammy. That's like God saying, hey, hey, hey. Don't let that just drift off like last night's dream where we can't even remember what it was. So running to God, he does a good job here, but he runs to God on his own terms. He runs to God on his own terms. When you come into a focused time of presence with God, is it about you? Is it about him? Is it about you? Is it about him? Sometimes I, I come because I, I just I want 
to, to, to have, you know, warm fuzzies on the back of my neck and all of this kind of stuff. It's more about me. Or do I come because I want to hear from God and know how he wants me to respond to life? And what's great about it is when he lets me know how I'm supposed to respond to life, whether it's a rock, between a rock and a hard place, he just doesn't just give you marching orders. He comes along with you. If you've said yes to Christ, the spirit indwells you. doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that you have a good measuring tool in your life in your heart you have somebody who will convict you not necessarily make you feel guilty that's not what we're going for but convict you and guide you and direct you pull on your on your um pants i know sometimes when i'm in meetings and my bride is sitting next to me all of a sudden i feel this leg touching my leg and i go oh isn't that nice he just loves me so much and then I realize I think I'm saying something she doesn't want me to say. Do I listen? Does it turn into a trick? Does it turn into the look? You know. Yeah. She's got that look. She thinks she's in kid zone. She could be giving it to me right now. You know, she's just over there, back there. But in a sense, God does the same thing. Keep the calluses off your heart. Don't let the busyness of life cause you not to listen to God. Really appreciate you online. You can't make it here. We'd love to have you here. There's something about being in community, but thank you for making the effort to be online. Some people are traveling. Some people are across the country, and uh, that, that's, a, that's a great thing. Let God speak to your heart. You know, sometimes... We get what we want from a church experience, but not what God wants for from us or for us. It's funny. There's a calculation, not from us, but for us. There's a reason I want that word in there, for us. God doesn't need anything from me, doesn't need anything from me. It's not like he's in heaven and going, oh, now my Dave, you know, you know, I need this from Dave, you know, but I definitely need stuff from him. But when we have a church experience, are we coming because of what he wants to do in us? Are we coming to reposture our defensive positions? What, what, what are we doing? What does God want for us? And so David comes there, and we're going to see that he, again, he's just unpacking this. He's not telling the truth. He's lying. And, uh, you know, later on we're going to see that his lies actually cause a town to get wiped out. His lies actually cause 85 priests to be killed. Consequences. Later on, we're going to see that uh, he does not take out Saul. I keep mentioning this because I just it blows my mind every time he has opportunity. Or two clear opportunities, he doesn't do that because he doesn't want to build his life on that. He doesn't want to build his legacy of a kingdom on that. You and I shouldn't want to build our life on lies. We shouldn't want to build our life on anything that's a foundation that's out of alignment with God. And some of us need to go back and fix that. Sometimes we have to go back and, and make things right. We need to apologize and say, I'm sorry. 
That was wrong. And then our sorry is really sorry because we tried to change our course of action. I shared with this before. When the girls were younger and they, we taught them to say a sorry, all of a sudden we realized that was a little bit of a mistake because they used the word sorry as a get-out-of-punishment-free card. As long as they, as quickly as they got nabbed, if they said sorry, they were off the hook. Because they really weren't sorry, they just wanted to get on to what they wanted to get on to. Mature Christians, new Christians, do you say sorry because you're trying to get off the hook? Or do you say sorry because you're really repentant? really green with God. You want to be tight with him. It's not that you're trying to avoid like punishment in your life. God doesn't punish us. He may use discipline to get our attention, but he's not just looking to slap us down. So again, what do we want from a church experience? What God wants? You know, when we come to church, yes, we want you to get something out of it. We want your heart to be touched. All of that. We want it to stick with you. But there's this other piece that just is, it lives in tension is what are you bringing to the assembly? What are you bringing to the church? Are you bringing joy? Are you bringing service? Are you bringing engagement? Are you wanting to be just a spectator? What do you bring? It's a two-sided tension. And I have found, and you would say, well, you're a pastor, but I, I found that uh, when I come with bringing something, then I receive something. It's amazing how that works. Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, I have friends who, you know, you know, we would call them people not in the pastorate, and they say, I got so much more out of that act of service than I put into it. I go, that's not true. That's, uh, you, you did all this stuff. You were like there. And they go, no, no, I got more out of it. They didn't come to get. They came to give. And they got received. It's just, it's just amazing. The first will be last. All that kind of stuff is working in there with the way God thinks about that. So we've got the problem with lying. There are all kinds of lies. There are white lies. There are big whopper lies. There are all these kinds of lies. And over and over, Scripture teaches us to be honest. Who is the father of all lies? Satan. So lying is not good. You need to stay away from it. And some of you wonderful women out there put your husband through just terrible situations. How does my new hairdo look? Oh, my goodness. Did you notice my new hairdo? I did that the first month we were married. We're in bed. It's dark. She goes, you know, it's anything different about me? Uh, 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 no, but, uh, you know, here I think is a husband that is lying. Look at his wife did to him. You see, they match. But it's not just once. It's not three times. It's not, it's four times. It's five. It's six. Actually, I, there were many more times. That guy is, is, is not being honest, I don't think. I don't know if he, I don't know if I would like to do that. I know when my mother gave Cindy and I matching sweaters back 20, 
nine years ago, maybe it's probably 32 years ago, I was like, no, I'm sleeping. But they're L.O. Bean, they were on set, and they'll sleep right now. But honestly, see, they was being honest. Not, I love it, you, you know, and uh, I'm going to pick get really big trouble. Sorry, Mom, is I, you know, I haven't won that trophy you gave me for Christmas dishes, you know, the trophy list. Sorry about that. That's uh, anyway. It's a little tight, too, but uh, it's, it's not a big deal. Now I am dead meat. So what do we do with this? Um, how do we respond to this? And then there are those big situations, and we've talked about it a little bit. What would happen if someone's life, from our perspective, was on the line regarding our honesty? Most of us will never have that opportunity to find out. Thank God, right? Right? Thank God you're not in those kinds of situations. Stuff that goes on and out. What, what do you do when you're in North Korea? What do you do when you're in some of the Arab countries? Those Arab countries, uh, you know, are not as, as, as nice as you think to uh, Christians. Uh, China, not a good thing. Yeah, if you've looked over the last two years, they've been tearing churches down. You know, beautiful churches, churches five times the size of this, and churches where it was really hard to raise money. And they just tear them down. The government goes, too many churches, too, you didn't get approval for that steeple. Off it goes, down it goes. So, um, you know, uh, it, you know there, there, there may be, God says, I'm not going to encourage you to be dishonest. You need to trust in me. But I'm not there yet. I haven't figured out what I would do if someone came in to my home and said, you know, are there any Christians in your house? And, uh, and I knew that that was a question because if there are, we're going to kill them. I, I would say I am, but I don't think I would say that my wife was too. So um, here's a little write-up. Uh, this came from an R.C. Sproul uh, connected website. So this is just some crazy guy out there. If someone came to me during World War II and said, do you have any Jews in your house? I would not say what they were, I, I would know what they were saying and it, that they were not saying our, oh man. And yeah, right. Um, in effect, they would be asking, do you have any Jews in your house for us to kill? The answer would be no. I do not have any Jews in the house for you to kill. I may have some Jews in the house, but they're not here for you to kill. And, and this is playing games. I just don't, I just don't, I'm not sure what I would do this, but you just, you just got to be thinking about that. But that is like one in a million, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you, you just, when it comes to everything below that, be honest, don't lie. David is lying here. Uh, and David is, we have to remember, David isn't always in ideal life, but he's in actual life. That's not in your notes, but I, I added that this morning. But I, I just really appreciate that because he's real. He's not fake. He's real. And I appreciate that about the Bible. If, if I was writing the Bible and trying to convince people to follow God, I might expunge some of these little wayward things. I think 21, uh, what happened to David? Let's just skip that. Let's skip chapter 21 and get into some good stuff where he does the right thing. But the, the, the authors, God inspired, uh, write these things and they include these things which, which helps us to get it. And we, we see that 
in verses 1 through 3. We just see him lying and lying and lying and just making things up as he goes. But in Proverbs, and I could have tons of verses that say the basically same thing, the Lord hates people, whoa, who tell lies. That's pretty strong, but he is pleased with those who tell the truth. Now, he loves people, but he hates the actions of lying. And if we're always a liar, he does not appreciate that, even those of us who are Christ followers. I have statistics I could give you. People lie all the time, not tell the truth. Sometimes I have to be really careful. I'm telling a story, and I realize I got something out of order, and I go back, and I fix it. And so, oh, that's no big deal. But I'm like, I do not want to be misrepresenting the truth. Or sometimes when I'm having an intense meeting, I'll say, if I tell you I had this conversation on Tuesday, but it was actually Monday, it's because I didn't remember the details. I'm not trying to fake you out. Some of you said Tuesday, but it was Monday. I'm like, that's just I got the day wrong. You know, you know, my memory's not perfect even when I was a lot younger. But the idea of not telling the truth. When our kids were little, this was the like the premium thing to us. You know, you, you lie and you break your trust with us. It will take time to regain the trust. You know, and again, talking to people, don't build your life on lies. And when there is some of those things, set them right. Eventually, this stuff gets out. What you want to keep private eventually goes public, and you can't explain it because it's just coming out. It's, it's being discovered. But if you kind of talk about it, it's not because you're trying to control the narrative, but you want to get the truth out, you want to be a part of it, you, you can make things right. Talk about that job where I, I lied that I hadn't told um, more than one person that I was leaving the company, the the the, the um, uh, resort and campground, and my boss called me on it, and I was so embarrassed. But I immediately I went back and uh, wrote a letter and apologized for that. I, I that was I did not I wanted to get that right. And then another time when Cindy and I first got married, I realized that I had not been honest. Not that I realized, it's just I got convicted that I had not always been honest with my hours at the farm I had worked at. I'd work five hours, and sometimes I'd write down six hours on my card. Some of the other people were doing that, and I said, you know, they're doing it, uh, you know, because you don't get paid much. No, 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 that, 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 that's lying, that's cheating, that's stealing. So Cindy and I were first married, and I realized that, and we didn't have much money, and I figured out m a little bit more than I think I had been dishonest about, and I wrote a check, told Cindy about it, which was so embarrassing, but I didn't want to build my life on lies. I went down over to the farm. who These were good friends of mine. I, th I think it damaged my relationship a little bit with the, with the dad of my best friend. He was a little colder to me after that when he saw that check, but I, I wanted to make it right. And then Cindy actually s realized that she, at her, at her place of work where they had like one of these snacky things, you know, and, you know, you put a quarter in to get it. Well, back then it was a penny. You put a penny in, you get a big, you know, candy bar this big. It's not that old. And she realized she had not paid for everything that she had probably bought. She realized, and she sent that, that uh, organization a check because we just did not want to build our life together on lies. 
And that's not to make you feel bad because you may say, oh, what? I, I did some. It's just to go, don't build your life on lies, at least from this day forward. There's a problem. And we see with David, it's not going to be as dramatic as David, but it, it does have ripple effects. Um, you know, and then we think about this idea of the delight of boundaries. We could say rules. Boundaries sounds more positive because boundaries are there to protect you, guardrails to protect you. And, um, you know, when we think about all of this, uh, we think of sometimes we think of boundaries to, to, to hurt us, to hold us back. But boundaries aren't like that. They're to give us there's a when we live in the boundaries, we have more life. We have freer life. We see this whole idea about um, this special bread. It usually was 12 loaves. So if there was five left, that means how many were already eaten? Seven, all you math whizzes out there. So there was some, the priest had already eaten seven. They had five left over. And ceremonial law versus mercy and all of that, the priest goes with mercy. You can have the bread. We see that happening with Jesus. We've got to be really careful about this. He's just having... Your ancestors have been taught never commit adultery. However, I say to you, if you look with your lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, you already committed adultery in your heart. And what I'm getting at here, you go, what's that have to do with bread? What I'm getting at is the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law. There are places where it's the spirit of the law. And we see that that's what the priest did. We see later on, Jesus talks about David in the bread. And he talks about this when the Sabbath was being talked about. And he says, it's not that the man is for the Sabbath. He says, Sabbath is for the man. It's a gift. It's a gift to have time off. It's a gift to spend time focusing on me. It's not a, it's not a mean obligation. And over and over and over, we see this idea of spirit of the law. And a lot of times in the Newer Testament, it makes it worse. You know, just don't be angry with someone. Don't murder, don't be murder someone. Don't be angry with them. Fancy word is raka. Don't be raka. Don't be that angry with someone. That, that goes deeper. So it's not, it's, it's, but it gives us a freedom for life to build our life on those things. See here, I'm gonna jump around. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. Loving God, loving others. It's not to smack you down. It's not to put you in your place. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's it's so you love others. You glorify God. People recognize God's love in you, and so they say, you know, that Dave Spencer. He's not that nice of a guy. He's pretty selfish. But that wasn't very selfish. What, where does that come from? It's the love of God in my life. When I go the extra, I was going to say mile, but it's more like an inch. When I go the extra inch, that's Jesus pushing me the extra inch. Maybe he'll get me to go an extra foot someday, but it's an extra inch. That's not Dave Spencer. Not me at all. You know, when we think about all these things, uh, we see that uh, David is just really dealing with the tension of vulnerability in this passage, verses 7 through 9. Uh, we just see him. He's just vulnerable, 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 so he's nervous, gets the sword, gets the bread. Just all of this is going on, and uh, 
he, he's just he's just vulnerable. He's vulnerable by doing the right thing, and he's not going to do the right thing. So you and I have to say we live in the tension of being vulnerable at times. We need to realize that and be okay with that. Jesus, when he talks to his disciples about going out and sharing faith, he says this. He says, then Jesus said, when I sent you out and told you to travel light, to take only the bare necessities, did you get along all right? And they said, certainly, they said, we got along just fine. This idea of traveling light, of being vulnerable, of, of trusting God. Now, there is this idea of protection. He goes on to say, he says, this is different. Get ready for trouble. You're going to have trouble. Look to what you need. There are difficult times ahead. Pawn your coat and get a sword. What? Jesus said that? What is written in the scripture, he was lumped in with the criminals. Get its final meeting in me. Everything written about me is now coming to a conclusion. They said, look, master, two swords. But he said, enough of that. No more sword part. The idea is protect. It's okay to protect yourself. But at the same time, you and I are going to be vulnerable. And even when we can protect ourselves, we're not trusting in being able to protect ourselves. You're not trusting in Swiss and Wesson. You're trusting in God. Some have found their strength in weapons and wisdom, but my miracle deliverance can never be won by men. Our boast is in the Lord, our God, who makes us strong and gives us victory. What would have happened if David had told the truth? The truth? I think he still would have gotten the sword. I think he still would have gotten the bread. But he would have told the truth. And he would have let the police be blindsided a little later in life. We've got to remember all of this. And we've got to remember the imagery of the bread and the sword. Uh, you know, the sword is, reminds us of God's word. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy. And it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It even will penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. That comes back to the idea. If you're following Christ, if we're following Christ, we need to follow him daily. Not once on a Sunday, not once every couple Sundays, daily. And the word of God will parse our heart, will help us figure out what our motives are so we know if we're pulling those strings I talked about earlier or not. We also read on as uh, hiding to get away as someone else. Some of us are hiding who we are. Some of us act like somebody else. Some of us don't let who our inner life really is out for a stroll. Now, for some of us, that's good. No, <laughs> but uh, it, you're hiding. You, you can't be yourself. God's made you who you are, and, and David hides himself. He acts like he's a crazy man when he goes to the city, the Philistine city. And, uh, you know, again, just facilitating this, this deception. And it just, it, just gets, it just gets worse. And at the end, he gets scared. Uh, we need to realize that uh, uh, when we're hiding to get away as somebody else, our reputation will still drip out. Your actions and your reputation follow you. You see that. They realize who David is. They see the sword. Isn't this the guy who killed Goliath? 
we don't want him around here, but he's crazy. We're superstitious, so we can't take him out. Some would say, oh, that was really clever of David. What are you doing running to Philistines? He's just, he's just, he's just desperate. He's between a rock and a hard place, and he's grasping at straws trying to figure out what to do. And so we need to realize that they, they know all about him, even though he thinks he's hiding it. And he hides it to some extent, but he's still hiding it. You see, our inner life and our outer life need to align. David was going to be the future king. Philistines even consider him king already to some degree. But he's not aligning with his his. his his lies are not kingly. He needs to be more brave. This is the guy who killed Goliath. Why can't he be honest? He was honest before Goliath as a younger man and said, you know, you're, you're trashing um, God, and I'm going to take you out, and i got a sling. And all, I mean, you talk about vulnerable. So earlier on, he could do it. Now he's just having trouble. Some of us who are Christ followers, we've started off and we've gotten good traction in our life and then we let up on the gas. Then we let up on the spiritual disciplines. We let up on praying, reading God's word, to seeking him out, to, to, to listening to a, a radio show that talks about Jesus every once in a while, a podcast, whatever. And we've let up and, and now we're in a position like David. We get backed into a corner and then the old self comes out. The, the, the 10-year-old of David comes out. Remember when Cindy and I got, first got married and uh, uh, we would go down to visit my parents so we could do laundry for free? Great deal. Free laundry, free soap. It's a good, and, and dryer, you know, those stinky things, whatever those things are called. And food. But it was amazing. I realized that I'd go home and I'd start acting like I was 17 again. And my father even said something about it. And, and Cindy kind of just kind of looked at me. And then, then somebody called before cell phones called looking for Pastor Dave. And I'm being obnoxious. And all I pick up, hello. Da -da, da -da. And my mother's like, who is this guy? There's, that's Pastor Dave. Click. You know, you know, you know, didn't match up. We need to make sure the inner life, outer life matches up. And we continually need to give it energy. If we don't give it energy, it doesn't have energy. So we see this. Um, I want to, you know, uh, let's uh, take a look here. So David's incident with the priest, his character, his lack of integrity, his, his confidence, all these things, not having it in God, shows up with the fact that when Saul finally catches up with the priest and he's got the dog with him and he's trying to figure out what is going on, he thinks the priest is, um, you know, doing a little bit of rebellion work. So he orders all his men to kill the priest and his 85 people, and the women and children of the, of the village. And none of his men will do it. None of his men will do it. But the dog will, and he does it. Only one priest survives and runs off to tell David what is happening. You see, his lack of integrity, his lack of honesty does affect 
other people. And you may say, well, that's pretty heavy. You know, my little this, little that doesn't, it does. Not to that extent, but it does. The integrity and confidence you have when following Christ has consequences far beyond what is just personal. It just doesn't affect your life. It affects the fabric of your family. It affects the fabric of your workplace. It affects the fabric of your neighborhood. It affects the fabric of your community. And when you put us all together and it's affecting our community, it affects our state, it affects our country. Some of the craziness that's going on in our country is because we haven't, as Christ followers, as a group, shown integrity and confidence in following Christ. And some of the things we see aren't from out there. They're from in here getting out there. The consequences are far beyond what is just personal. The flip side of that is true. I wanted to find a different word than consequences, but you could say have the results, the effects. The, the, the opposite is true. If it's positive, if there's integrity, if there's confidence, then there's a positive effect in our community beyond what is just personal. Let's be known as Christ followers that are actually followers. Let us be honest. Let us be people of integrity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account that's included in your word regarding David. Uh, it, it breaks our heart to see him stumble like this. We're thankful that he doesn't stay down. We're thankful that that gives us hope that we don't have to stumble. Father, I ask that you would help us to say yes to you daily, hourly, sometimes by the minute. And if there's anyone in here who has not established that relationship with you by saying yes to the gift of salvation, we ask that today would be that day. And they would be able to walk out of this place with real confidence that they know you and you'll be speaking into their lives regularly. They don't go out of this place alone. We thank you for this uh, gift. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.